Hi, I'm Richard Deitch, host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Maggie Gray, host of The Gray Area. Hi, I'm Ted Keith, host of the SI Vault Podcast. For more than 60 years, Sports Illustrated has championed its brand of quality sports journalism. Now SI has a new partnership, one that helps us tell the stories that matter to your life through today's mobile channels. So as of today, all 11 Sports Illustrated podcasts are joining the Panoply Network with more new titles on the way soon. Visit SI.com slash podcasts for more info. The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm Gazella Mami, Vulture's TV editor, and I'm here with TV columnist Margaret Lyons. Matt is out this week, and we have the wonderful Nate Jones with us today. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing good. How are you, Gazelle? I'm doing well. How about you, Margaret? Glad to be here. Yes. I'm glad to be out of the heat. Oy. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about 90s TV reboots, and then we'll discuss David Simon's new miniseries, Show Me a Hero. And if you have any questions for us, please email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. And if you're a Vulture insider, you can exclusively submit audio questions to the Vulture TV podcast. Visit vulture.com slash insiders to apply. So we're going to start off with a question we actually got from one of our listeners, Sam, about 90s TV reboots. Sam's question, you know, is one we've all had, which is why are there so many 90s shows popping up again? Last week, it was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Will Smith as one of the producers. We've seen Full House coming up, The X-Files, Coach, you know, some children's shows like The Magic School Bus, Powerpuff Girls. Let's just start by talking about, you know, what what are your general feelings on on this craze? Does it make you excited when you hear about a 90s show coming back? Or do you get kind of that feeling in the pit of your stomach like, oh, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both, right? Like, yeah. I'm a huge X-Files fan. I'm excited for the X-Files to come back. That said, like, I would prefer Full House not just because that seems like an insane decision to me. It depends on the show. It depends on the show. Yeah. It depends on, like, what... I think the show still has to say about anything, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's that. I mean, I'm not sure how much Full House had to say in the first place, and that's not its job. Like it was a TJF show. Like I think it accomplished those tasks. Right. But there's no reason another show couldn't continue to accomplish those tasks. Versus the X Files, where I think we've seen a lot of imitators of the X Files since it went off the air, none of which was actually able to achieve like what the X Files is capable of. And I think like the themes and questions of that show actually are still relevant. And so you know the general trepidation around any kind of revival of like please don't suck is always going to be there, but for the X-Files, it's like, okay, I think like questions of surveillance and like the government keeping secrets and mm-hmm. you know, like a profound discomfort by the amount of like data being recorded about you. I think those themes are still relevant. I think that we haven't had a show as good as the X-Files addressing those ideas. And then for Coach, it's like, you got to give me a break. Right. Like, yeah. Well, Coach, it was clearly they have some sort of relationship with Craig T. Nelson. And they're like, well, let's keep Craig T. Nelson happy. <laughs> Let's right. throw him a coach reboot. It doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason to. No, I mean, it, like there it, were not there were no, not you coach at, heads, right. you know, sending Although, footballs into NBC headquarters. I did watch a lot of Coach growing up. You know, I think it's the same as we're seeing with movies, where it's there's just this whole universe of content out there, and so it's okay. We need to cut through this by doing ideas that people have heard of before. Right? Do you see it as a sign that TV is moving in the direction of film in terms of what types of shows are being made and? Do you think in the next 10 years we'll see Battleship, the TV show? Or, you know, like, do you see this as a sign of dark times ahead? I mean, I think the <laughs> biggest thing it's a sign of is 
what happens when we have fewer spinoffs. For scripted shows, there used to be a much more elaborate spinoff process, and that was like a much more consistent thing. Like lots and lots of shows had spinoffs. If there was a popular show, make a spinoff of it. But we don't do that anymore for scripted shows. But we still want like attachment to those worlds, right. to that brand, to that idea, to those characters, to have like access to that for a variety of reasons. Some of which are like fan reasons because it's nice, and some are business reasons because it's like, oh, you've heard of this, like you'll watch right. it. You've already heard of it. Please God, watch it. Do you think so, we'll start to see more spinoffs? Like AMC has started doing it with Better Call Saul and Fear the Walking Dead, and you know that's only two shows. But I feel like we're kind of in this stage where there's a lot more of wanting to capitalize off of the familiar. If I had to guess, I mean, like, look, on network, we have CBS still does a bunch of spinoffs. NBC has Chicago Med and Chicago mm-hmm. Fire and Chicago PD, right? Yes. yes. So, and, those, and these are these big franchises. Yeah. So these are like franchise shows. I think what would probably, like, more so than like a direct spinoff, but continuing with the sort of like the Shondaland Thursday, mm-hmm. even though Shonda Rhimes, like, none of those shows are spinoffs of each other, but they're all like of a kind and they all have like a similar publicity spin around them and they move like as a unit kind of right all like the hashtags and stuff are like they're the same for all the shows so i feel i feel like that would be the thing where it's like instead of just like oh there's another spin-off it's like if you liked the show the person who made it is going to be here forever <laughs> like <laughs> there will always be a home for you here or you know like that right. kind of idea which makes sense it's just a matter of execution are there any you're particularly looking forward to other than the x-files other than the X-Files? Yeah. I mean, like, does Twin Peaks strike fear in Twin your heart? Peaks, or does well, it... Twin Peaks has had a little bit of bad buzz yeah. that, you know, causes some sort of understandable trepidation. But it seems as if they've sort of settled that. Now that David uh, Lynch yes. is back on yes, board. Now that he's sort of back on board. But I think people in general are a lot more wary about this after Arrested Development. I think people sort of got exactly what they wanted mm-hmm. with that fourth season of Arrested Development and found out that sometimes getting exactly what you want isn't that great. Part of me feels like this should be used to bring back shows that I don't feel like ran their full course. And I think that's what people thought with Arrested Development because it got canceled. It wasn't this long-running show, although Four Seasons isn't that short now that we look back on it. A lot of us are like, well, maybe that was enough. But I'm, I kind of want, like, random shows from my childhood to come back. Like, Briscoe County Jr. was a show I really <laughs> yeah. liked. And, like, I'd love to see a sci-fi western, like, kind of campy, you know, I don't see that anymore. And that was a show that only ran for one season, I believe. So I could see it being used to bring back these shows that were canceled before their time. But Arrested Development is a good example of one where it was what you said, like getting what you wanted, but realizing it wasn't what you wanted. Yeah. And the, you know, and they brought back the Veronica Mars movie. And that was right. sort of the same thing where it was, it wasn't bad, but it was just purely fan service mm-hmm. for these people that were mourning this thing that had been taken away from them. But it didn't seem like it had that much more to do. Like Margaret was saying, it didn't have that much more to say besides, hey, remember how good the show was? And so that, at least me personally, has made me a little bit more nervous about even these things that I did love coming back. I liked the Veronica Mars movie a lot more than I liked Revived Arrested Development. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was not a fan of the new season of Arrested Development. I just... Like, I get what they were going for, and there was, like, all this sort of ambitious stuff that they were going to try to do. And then when they didn't, I just thought, you know, like, the green screening and stuff really was, like, egregious. And I just, I didn't think it worked. It didn't actually feel the same as Real Arrested Development to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas, like, the Veronica Mars movie, in a lot of ways, did feel like real Veronica Mars. My fears around Twin Peaks are that we've had a lot of chances to revisit the world of Twin Peaks. And those chances have been 
like I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, but I don't care for Firewalk with me, for example. Like that that didn't really enhance my enjoyment of like the Twin Peaks universe. And I would personally rather just be like, David Lynch, make a new show. Thirteen episodes, go nuts. Because I think the amount of story left in Twin Peaks itself, especially something that's been so dissected and we've had so many like homages to it. Again, the cast has been together. Like there's there's already so much like ephemera around Twin Peaks mm-hmm. that I don't think any like revisiting could possibly stand up to that level of like I don't know, hype. I, I that's yeah. that's not yeah. quite hype, but like that there's already so much Twin Peaks. Like I don't know that more Twin Peaks is the answer to that. Like was Jurassic World like the is that what you wanted? <laughs> like I wanted another Jurassic Park so badly. I fucking hated Jurassic World and it was like devastating. <laughs> so it was like, oh God, now this is what I'm gonna get so much more of. Like I would rather have left it with the garbage Jurassic Park three than like be staring down the barrel of another like ten years of ass Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> and like the idea that like all these shows you are coming back to die for good. Yeah, Even like I'd rather I'd rather that than like than have <laughs> You know, shows and characters and stuff I like come back and just suck, but then it's popular enough that it like has to stick around and continue to suck. Like that's such a bummer. <laughs> Have either of you watched Girl Meets World? I'm just curious. I haven't only myself, the YouTube but... clips that end up on Vulture.com. I've also done that, and to me, it feels like something I don't get because I'm not a kid anymore. But I'm like, these are like the new kid stars, and it feels like a, a genuine thing that has its own merits. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It feels like something I can't access anymore because I'm not a kid, but it's something that they've created into its own kind of thing that they do well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's associated with the original show, but I doubt the people who are watching it most are people who watched Boy Meets World. Right. That's sort of how I felt when I was watching the trailer for the new Peanuts movie. Mm-hmm. It was the CGI Peanuts movie, and I, I kind of like a lot of other people, was kind of like, ah, CGI Peanuts. Yeah. This is wrong somehow. You know, why is Charlie Brown's head a, a sphere instead of a circle? Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then I was thinking, it's not It's not for, for me, us, yeah. And it's not going to be for me. And I, I had my childhood already. Yeah. The Ma- Magic School Bus reboot is also going to be CGI animation. Are there any shows you would just like... If you had like a wish list of something you'd want to see come back. This is impossible now since the death of Rick Mayall, but I would be very curious about a Young Ones reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a 19, early 1980s British sitcom about four, like, I think they were in college or they were post-grads and just these disgusting archetypes of early Thatcherite Britain <laughs> hanging out together, having these very surreal adventures. It would probably almost not be a good idea to reboot it, but I'd be very curious to see where all of those characters ended yeah. up 30 years later. Um, there was one, Rick Mayall's character was very much like a young socialist who you could tell would turn into a new labor type at the earliest opportunity. Uh, so, and he was just like a huge prick. There was a hippie who like really stood up for his beliefs and protested <laughs> against apartheid. There was like a first wave punk with cool mohawk stuff. Oh. And then there was like kind of a sleazy pickup artist guy and yeah it would just be funny to see what those guys ended up in middle age how about you margaret sports night (laughs) (laughs) like especially because like i believe aaron sorkin is capable of another good show like i think it's in there Mm -hmm. i think there are some lessons to be learned from studio 60 and the newsroom but i also think like some of that like self-aggrandizing stuff that is sort of so tiresome on those two shows like felt actually really good on sports night and i think sports night like 
I believe all of these characters could like still be working in sports. And I wrote about it in Stay Tuned, and now I'm like even more attached <laughs> to the idea that I want like a fake 30 for 30 about like in, so it's like in a world where like Sports Night the Sports Center show existed, and it's like all these people now talking about like how much fun they had on that sports show that was like a scrappy thing, and like we all learned so much and blah blah blah. And, you know, and there's like so many people who are on it too, like in yeah. smaller roles, and it's like oh yeah, like Janelle Maloney. You could be back on. You were the wardrobe assistant. <laughs> like, plus, I, like, that show was like unjustly too early canceled. How many seasons was two it? Two seasons. Oh wow, two That's shorter seasons. than I thought. Gazelle, what would you bring back? Briscoe County Junior. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. You were saying that there isn't a sci-fi western, but yeah. Westworld is kind of okay. Westworld no, but Briscoe County like Junior is like funny. It's okay. really funny. It's funny and like self-aware and cheeky and like. Okay. Yeah, Westworld does I mean, not look. I wonder if <laughs> like there's those three things <laughs> for all of its for all of its potential qualities. Yeah. I don't know much about this show, but Ash vs. Evil Dead is going to premiere soon, and it's also a Bruce Campbell Bruce Campbell vehicle, and Bruce Campbell is the star of Briscoe County Jr., so I wonder if it'll satisfy some of those campy Bruce Campbell feelings that I'm looking to (laughs) revive, but putting it out there. Briscoe County Jr. (laughs) To the TV gods. (laughs) Listeners, if you have any shows you would love to see rebooted, please email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. We'd love to hear what you'd like to see. I also would give anything for a really good David E. Kelly lawyer show to come back. Like, there was a time when David E. Kelly's stuff was, like, so good. Yeah. And, like, what was the last? It was that Sarah Michelle Gellar, Robin Williams one. That was not good. (laughs) That was not good. Yeah, I don't even. It was not a good show. Uh, And he hasn't had a good show in a really long time. But if you think of, like, the glory days of Picket Fences, I was never a big practice fan, but, like, the practice. Mm -hmm. Ally McBeal, also, like, I'll rep for Boston Legal. Like, I really liked (laughs) that show. And I think there was, like, so many cool episodes where it was like that really big like ladies and gentlemen of the jury like Mm -hmm. it was like rising speeches and like pretty interesting sort of legal thought questions like stuff about like constitutionality and sort of the difference between for example like sex work and pornography if you want to have a free speech case like I remember that being a really interesting episode or like the ethics of organ sales like like pretty well done like legal reasoning and then also just like fun quirks and like it obviously now feels like very dated and so 90s a lot of it, mm-hmm. but I think if there was a way to like make a really good one now, I'd be all over that just because I, I love those kinds of shows like the ensemble lawyer drama or another small town with weird shit, Picket Fences. <laughs> Picket Fences holds up way better than you remember. Like, yeah. It holds up incredibly well. I would love it. I would love to bring back like a David E. Kelly style show. Well, that could be a soft transition to our next <laughs> topic, uh, Show Me a Hero, which has some legal aspects in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they, these are, that's a very tenuous like, Maybe the opposite right. of Allie McBeal. <laughs> Allie McBeal wears clothes and the people on Show Me a Hero. She has an apartment. Also clothes. Yeah. And they They're need in courtrooms. Apartments. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Well, okay, so <laughs> Show Me a Hero is... David Simon's going to bust into this room and personally lecture all three of us for um, an hour. Two hours be... of lecture from David Simon over the weekend, and we're going to get two more for the next two weeks, because that's oh, a little bit oh, of what oh, Show Me a Hero oh, is. Margaret, tell Sorry. us what you really think. Yeah. <laughs> that it's pretty good, but it's also yeah. like, attention America, evaluate your personal ethics and despair. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what this show is, um, it's basically created by... David Simon, the man behind The Wire, and it's a six-part miniseries that takes part in the late 80s and revolves around this white, middle-class neighborhood in Yonkers, New York, 
resisting federally mandated public housing. Basically, this judge is ordering that public housing, you know, be built in this area and they don't want it in their backyard, as you might say. Um, the city's new as mayor. As they literally as say. As they literally say at one point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like predominantly about desegregation. It's not just like, oh, apartment complexes, what an eyesore. Right. It's very, mm-hmm. very specifically, even though some of the people deny it, very specifically about the fact that this largely white population does not want people of color moving yes. into their neighborhood. Yes. And it's basically the first two hours is basically a parade of euphemisms for them to yeah, dance they, they around that fact. Is they want, yes. They can't actually bring themselves to say it. But that is the subtext. And it's incredibly clear. And Bob Balaban at some point even says, like, stop dancing around it. Yeah. So the center for the drama is mainly the city's new mayor, Nick Wazisko, and he's played by Oscar Isaac. Nick is trying to push through this mandate, not for any noble reasons, not because he's some big hero, but just more for pragmatic ones because the city will go bankrupt if he doesn't. We have a clip here of Winona Ryder, who's also lovely on the show. (laughs) And it's a conversation between her character, Vinny, and Nick talking about how addictive politics is. When you're out of office, it's like your candle goes out. You know, and everyone just moves on to the next candle. (laughs) People stop calling and reporters stop uh, trying to reach you. back to your life but you're reading the paper and you're watching tv so you oh, know what's going on you know what i think you might have been the lucky one in this situation because this housing shit the judge spalone longo oh fuck nick long <laughs> he should get ass cancer <laughs> shit so I liked this moment with Winona Ryder because she kind of gets right to the core of what politics feels like for people in it. She's not talking about how she misses helping people. She's talking about how she's no longer in the spotlight. And the show surprised me in that it's not a straightforward hero's story. It's more about one person being in the right place at the right time. And the show has a lot of history to convey. And then it also has these human stories. It weaves in the stories of the low-income neighborhood like so we get a lot of human stories on that level and then we get the stories of a few select people in the government do you think it does service to both elements do you feel like you know what's going on for a show with as many cast members as it has which is a ton there's a lot of people on the show it's easy enough to follow it's not confusing it's not you know i don't feel like we need to do a story of like wait what mm-hmm. <laughs> it's helpful too because all the meetings that the government officials have clearly state an agenda Right. (laughs) Like, look, I'm tired of you giving me a hard time about this. You have to vote yay. Nay. It's like, okay, the stakes are all super clear and the storyline is super clear. And you know sort of which way it's going. Whereas with the housing residents and sort of these are their daily lives. Here are the problems they're facing. Do you feel like you are invested in these characters? I mean, not yet. Yeah. Right. And certainly that's more true of the characters we see in public housing than the characters we see in government. Right. We just like the stories haven't congealed yet. We haven't gotten to that point where like everyone is interacting at the same time. And it's hard watching the show not to think like the predominant problem here, rather than specifically housing, is just poverty. And that anything that would help raise these people out of poverty would be a viable solution, which includes, you know, like hygienic and safe housing, but is not limited to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably like free 
childcare would also help yes. some of our people yeah, better, right? better like better medical care, medical care yes, like yeah. preventative medical like you know there's sort of like a variety of things that are clearly facing our characters and it's hard not to feel like housing is just one tentacle on this like crippling octopus of poverty and just like oh that that's just like such a small or not a small problem but but clearly one among many mm-hmm. i don't think the stories have like tied together yet when you say tied together do you mean the government storylines converging with the yeah, and I also think like because I wonder if that will ever happen, or if I don't. They'll know. exist on parallel planes. I don't need these people literally to meet, but I would like if the themes reflected start to have a clearer tie to each other. That we have I, like a much sort of tighter thread holding it all together. Yeah, I wonder if his point is to be like, look, these people are living their lives, and the government is existing, and it's completely disconnected from it. Like it's not like they are. Like, yeah. if it's supposed to kind of highlight how disconnected the government is, basically. From... I think it is supposed to highlight that, but I think on a policy level, an intellectual level, that makes sense. But I think for it to work as a drama, mm-hmm. they're going to need to sort of intersect. And I, it seems like they probably will. I mean, obviously, we've only seen two episodes out of six, so it seems likely that they will. Yeah. What did you guys think about Catherine Keener's character? I liked her. You know, the first episode and the first half of the second episode... It was basically like Parks and Recreation, right? It was like, look at these horrible townspeople (laughs) who are just this mass of awful people. And then you single out one who's played by a good actress, and you see all the ways that, yes, she is horrible, but all the ways that, you know, she's the token, slightly nicer white racist lady. (laughs) (laughs) No, but she has that nice, she has that nice phone call with Oscar Isaac. That was also rejects anti-Semitism. Yes, you know, so it's like, okay, she's, you know, at least she's not an anti-Semite. You know, (laughs) she has that going for her. And no, and then she does call Oscar Isaac, and she doesn't apologize. They don't come to really any sort of understanding, but they still have this moment together that sort of humanizes her a little bit. What did you think of her, Margaret? I get it. I guess my one, like, slight turnoff to the show is this, like, performance of realism that I find a little bit stifling. And so we have Katherine Keener in this, like, sort of dopey wig and these, like, you know, sad, like, Talbot's vests and stuff and, like... (laughs) Like in their dingy couch, eating their dingy meat. Like, and you're just supposed to be like, oh man, this is so real. These are like the realest real people. <laughs> and even though it's just like art, like, is it? Like, how? I don't know. I mean, she's like, they just don't understand like our way of life. And it's like, give me a break. It's not that I don't think these people exist, but this sort of like show offiness of authenticity feels extremely hollow to me. And like, that was sort of one of my beefs for the two episodes I saw is that like the harder it's trying and the more it's going for this like, super super gritty like super straightforward this is like we're a hiccup away from a documentary you know like that right vibe it isn't actually capturing me it's so close to parody at that point that's what always kind of gets me about this i mean this feels like you said it's like a hiccup away from a documentary it's it wants you to think that like i don't know that it actually is but it does have the sheen of that where it's like, this is real. This happened. It's not just based on a true no, story. No, like she is a real character. Yeah. Uh, even the people, even sort of the quote unquote regular people we see, those are all like, those aren't composites. Those are people that actually so, existed. Right. So it's like a narrative documentary in a way. And that, that genre has always been very confusing to me. Like I would almost rather watch a documentary most of the time when I'm watching narrative documentaries. But in this case, I am a little bit more interested because, you know, there's a lot of good actors in it. There's enough to keep me watching. But I know what you mean. There's something slightly off-putting about that. It's particularly like, oh, we have all these like fancy big movie stars like pretending to slum it. 
that I I don't know. It just really rubs me the wrong way for some yeah. reason. I think all the performances are good. Like yeah. I'm not criticizing the performances. And literally every person on the show is someone like Jim yeah. Belushi is like the outgoing mayor. Yeah, he's um, a, he was a mensch. <laughs> yeah. Bob Balaban's the judge. Yeah. Alfred Alfred Molina uh, yeah. is another is the evil he's, is he's the great. even more evil politician. <laughs> John Bernthal from Walking Dead is another like. Yeah, I like uh, that. Oh, he's, yeah. a, he's a NAACP yeah. lawyer. <laughs> Peter Rigert from Animal House is the urban development expert who is coming up with the plans. Uh, he has a terrible beard that makes him look oh, like he's that an orangutan yeah. from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, so there's like there's a ton of people in it. Not just that there's a lot of characters, but all of those characters are played by people you probably recognize. It's like a real have your IMDb open during yeah. that kind of show. I think maybe some of it is that like it's directed by Paul Haggis and like his sort of style and tone and the sort of where the distance is. Is it between the viewer and the characters? Is it between the characters and each other? Like where is the most air happening in the story? And I guess I just it just feels like phony baloney shit yeah. to me, which is weird really? because it's supposed to be so authentic and there's just so much of it that it just like isn't capturing me. I don't I, know. I bought it. I'm kind of reserving judgment to see how how it develops. <laughs> I'm curious I, about it. I'm not I, like this is garbage. Feelings. Feelings. I'm both, but I'm. But I think uh, certainly a lot of the other reviews I read of it were like much more effusive than I than yeah. I feel about it. You brought up the directing, and I'm curious what you guys thought of the courtroom scenes. You know, we have a lot of these cuts between people yelling and just how that whole emotion is conveyed because that is a large part of this whole story is how contentious the case was and you know the courtroom drama of it. Is that part of what bothers you, Margaret? I mean, I think more than the courtroom, it was probably those like town hall meetings where mm-hmm. we have like our irate townspeople berating mm-hmm. our city council members or all that's what I meant. Not our... ta- not courtroom, but town hall meetings. So we have like this sort of panel of politicians mm-hmm. and then people taking turns going up to the podium and like really losing their shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought those scenes were actually really effective. Those those are probably the scenes that I liked the most. Mm-hmm. If anyone else like listened to those two episodes of This American Life in the last couple of weeks where they were talking right. about school desegregation and they had a not totally dissimilar town hall meeting at a school with a bunch of white people saying it's not racist but I don't want all these black kids to come to our school and like the meetings were extremely similar like Mm -hmm. like so any sort of question of realism I certainly didn't have for the show I also think if you've ever been to a local political meeting it's a combination of like Moments of excitement and moments of profound boringness. Like, it's unbelievably <laughs> tedious. Like, I think Parks and Rec captured that probably better than it ever needed to. <laughs> I like those moments. I like the sort of tension between how much people sort of care and then also the fact that, like, local politics is often very stultifying. And, you know, we have this, like, oh, wow, he's the mayor of Yonkers, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> there's sort of, like, this tension. It's like, oh, man, that's a guy who can get everything done <laughs> in Yonkers. So, like, it's a big city. I get it. But it, this is, like, you know, the opposite of razzle-dazzle. And so I think the show does an interesting job of sort of, like, playing with those ideas. And so we have – it's, like, the anti-veep in a lot of ways. We have yeah. this, like, oh, my God, check it out. Like, that person's so powerful. It's like, don't cross her. Like, she'll fuck you over whatever. But then also what we're talking about winds up being, other than the housing stuff, like extremely small potatoes stuff. I don't know. What did you guys think about those town hall meetings? Uh, yeah, no, I liked it. To go back to what you were saying about David E. Kelly, I thought it brought up an interesting legal question where these townspeople clearly want the city to go broke rather than desegregate, essentially. And then the question becomes, what does a responsible public service do? Do they do they follow the wishes of their constituents, which, you know, seems crazy, and but that seems to be what Alfred Molina's character is doing? Or do you say, no, literally 99% of you are wrong. I'm going to do what we need to do. It's that one. 
<laughs> right? Because we don't yeah, take yeah. because civil rights aren't decided by a majority. Yes, yes. Like that's what the obligation is right. of government to protect interests of the minority against popular vote. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so problem solved. Yeah, problem solved. <laughs> no, but I thought it was an interesting question to dramatize. Yes. Where it's right. It's not like you know generally in things like this you have like the good townspeople shouting down the mean townspeople. But in this one, it seems like so far there haven't been good townspeople at all. Yeah. Besides the people living in the public housing. Right. And then the people living in the public housing aren't showing up to... Yes. No, exactly. It is sort of unclear if they... If they know or if they're just kind of disillusioned or don't really Mm -hmm. have any... I mean, I I was reading something about how this story begins right after a bunch of kind of civil rights fights happened in that area. And then a lot of this community felt like they'd lost any kind of passion for fighting Mm -hmm. for what they wanted, you know. So we kind of we kind of see them not engaging, but we don't really have the context for that, which is what happened before. Yeah, and I think like Bob Balaban's character sort of alludes to that. Well, you know, he makes mention of the fact that like this is not the first fight. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is the last fight that they've been having. They've lost every single one. I feel like I'm shitting on the show. I actually think it's pretty yeah. good. I just don't think it's quite as good as I think everyone else thinks it is. And my one like pet peeve, weird issue with it is that everyone says Yonkers like a hundred times a second. It's constant on that show to the point where we actually <laughs> made a supercut of all the times people are saying Yonkers in the first two episodes and. It's a lot. Yonkers? Yonkers. 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 And you can watch Show Me a Hero on HBO every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern through August 30th. That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Our senior producer is Laura Mayer. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell your friends and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. I'm Gazella Mommy, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons, and you can find me on Twitter at Margin Charge. I'm Nate Jones, and you can find me on Twitter at, at KN and the numeral 8. Thanks for listening. Yonkers, 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 Yonk